The Senate will return Monday and stay in session through Thursday. The House will return Tuesday and stay in session through Friday. This week in the House, the House will return on Tuesday with the first vote set for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House is scheduled to take up two bills under suspension of the rules. On Wednesday and for the balance of the week, the House will consider another 10 bills under suspension of the rules. The House will also take up H.R. 21, the Strategic Production Response Act, which would limit the drawdown of petroleum in the Strategic Petroleum Reserve until the Department of Energy develops a plan to increase the percentage of federal lands leased for oil and gas production to offset any additional drawdown. This is a deliberate pushback against the Biden administration's use of the SPR to try to keep gas prices in check. And the legislation will come to the floor under a modified open rule for the first time in seven years. That rule will allow any member to offer an amendment on the House floor. This week in the Senate, the Senate will return Monday with the first vote set for 5.30 p.m. At that time, the Senate will proceed to a roll call vote on the nomination of Brendan Owens to be an Assistant Secretary of Defense. Then the Senate is going to spend a lot of time working through nominations. Now let's talk about illegal immigration. More illegal immigrants crossed our southern border in December than crossed the border in any previous month on record, according to figures released late Friday by Customs and Border Protection. All told, there were 251,487 encounters in that one month, far surpassing the 179,254 encountered in December of 2021 and the 73,994 encountered in December of 2020. That brings the three-month total for FY23 to date, that is October, November, and December of 2022, to 717,660 total encounters. Just a day earlier, House Oversight and Accountability Committee Chairman James R. Comer, Republican of Kentucky, announced that the first oversight hearings on what's going on at the southern border will be held next month. He revealed that he had sent a letter to DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas demanding that Mayorkas turn over documents and communications dating back two years related to the numbers of illegal immigrants who crossed the border without authorization. The first hearing will be held the week of February 6th. That's two weeks from now. Four chief U.S. Border Patrol agents have been invited to testify. And now let's talk gas stoves. In early January, one of the commissioners of the Consumer Product Safety Commission said the agency was considering banning gas stoves out of concern for the indoor air pollution caused by the stoves, despite the fact that the Environmental Protection Agency disagrees. Quote, gas stoves and gas fireplace inserts do not require EPA certification, says the EPA. Quote, whether designed to burn natural gas or propane, they burn very cleanly, emitting very little pollution, end quote. Why is the CPSC coming after gas stoves? Because natural gas is a fossil fuel, and the Biden administration is committed to a green energy agenda. We've got a petition up on the TPPA website urging Congress to demand answers from the CPSC. You'll find it at thepatriotcenter.org forward slash hands hyphen off hyphen our hyphen stoves forward slash. Now let's talk about the Dobbs Supreme Court leak investigation. You remember that. On Thursday of last week, the Supreme Court released a statement saying its investigation into the source of the leak of the Dobbs decision 
had failed to discover the identity of the person who leaked the document to Politico. The 20-page statement revealed that 82 employees had access to electronic or hard copies of the draft majority opinion in the case of Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization that overturned the Roe v. Wade decision that was issued by the court exactly 50 years ago yesterday. Quote, no one confessed to publicly disclosing the document and none of the available forensic and other evidence provided a basis for identifying any individual as the source of the document, end quote said the report from the court's marshal, Gail A. Curley. Quote, all personnel who had access to the draft opinion signed sworn affidavits affirming that they did not disclose the draft opinion, nor know anything about who did, end quote. That statement, it turns out, is false, as we'll discuss in a moment. According to the statement, the investigation found no evidence that the leak was the result of a computer or a network hack. The report did not indicate whether the justices themselves were interviewed. A Supreme Court spokesperson did not respond to a question about whether or not the justices themselves had been questioned as part of the investigation. The following day, Marshall Curley herself issued a statement that said, quote, During the course of the investigation, I spoke with each of the justices, several on multiple occasions. The justices actively cooperated in this iterative process, asking questions and answering mine. I followed up on all credible leads, none of which implicated the justices or their spouses. On this basis, I did not believe that it was necessary to ask the justices to sign sworn affidavits, end quote. This is what happens when you ask non-professionals to do the job of professionals. The Supreme Court's marshal, as well-meaning as she may have been, simply does not have the experience or the tools to conduct such an investigation. She had no subpoena power. She had no grand jury. She had no reasonable threat of prosecution or jail time to help her get to the bottom of this. And if you're wondering why the Justice Department didn't conduct this investigation, keep in mind that the Supreme Court represents the judicial branch of government, while the Justice Department is a creature of the executive branch of government, and there are constitutional considerations involved here. Former President Trump weighed in on the matter, posting on his Truth Social platform a statement calling for the jailing of the Politico reporters who broke the story last May. Quote, they'll never find out, and it's important they do, he wrote. So go to the reporter and ask him, her, who it was. If not given the answer, put whoever in jail until the answer is given. You might add the editor or publisher to the list, end quote. In Congress, Republican Congressman Mike Johnson, a former chairman of the Republican Study Committee, wants to take action. Over the weekend, he announced on Twitter that he would be reintroducing a piece of legislation called the Leaker Accountability Act that would make it a federal crime to leak a draft Supreme Court opinion. Johnson pointed out that the Curley Report itself recommended consideration of such legislation, quote, Bills were introduced in the last Congress, which would expressly prohibit the disclosure of the Supreme Court's non-public case-related information to anyone outside the court, said the report. Consideration should be given to supporting such legislation. Now to the debt ceiling. On Thursday, the federal government of the United States hit its debt limit set by statute at $31.38 trillion dollars and lost its ability to continue to borrow to finance its spending. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen immediately invoked what she euphemistically called extraordinary measures to allow the government to keep borrowing without running afoul of the law. 
Basically, Treasury uses approved smoke and mirrors to juggle things. This can go on for quite some time. In a letter she sent Congress announcing the action, she said she thought they'd be able to keep handling things this way until at least early June. Let's get something clear right now. Raising the debt ceiling has nothing to do with controlling spending. Raising the debt ceiling is simply a question of whether we will, as a nation, pay our bills for spending that has already been authorized. Refusing to raise the debt ceiling would mean that the federal government would not be able to pay its bills, and given that the entire world financial system rests on the stability of the United States government, that would be bad. Some have suggested that the Congress should pass a bill ordering the Treasury Secretary to simply prioritize which bills to pay, like a homeowner in a cash crunch who makes sure to pay the mortgage before paying the credit card bill or buying groceries. In fact, a promise to push just such a prioritization plan was a part of the private deal struck between House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and some of the conservative holdouts on the Speaker's election. One of our good friends, Congressman Chip Roy of Texas, helped broker that deal. He told the Washington Post that McCarthy, quote, agreed to pass a payment prioritization plan by the end of the first quarter of the year, end quote. A similar plan was a serious topic of conversation back in 2011, when we had a similar situation. A Democrat in the White House with a Democrat majority in the Senate, opposed by a Republican majority in the House. There is, after all, a difference between the U.S. defaulting on its debt and the U.S. not paying all its bills on time. Because there's a technical difference between paying back people who have loaned us money on the one hand, and on the other hand, paying the bills for ongoing operations like FDA food inspectors, border patrol agents, and the like. Default is when you don't pay your bondholders, the people who loaned us money by buying U.S. government bonds to fund our deficit spending. The fact is we will still have enough money coming in on a monthly basis from tax receipts that we could continue to make payments on a timely basis to the bondholders who fund our deficit spending. That would, theoretically, prevent the U.S. from going into default. But it would have many other, it would leave many other bills unpaid. Social security checks wouldn't go out on time. Border patrol agents wouldn't be paid. Defense contractors building new ships would stop work because they weren't being paid, etc. Moreover, those who have done the deep dive on how you would do that have come back and said, there's another hitch. And that is that the government's computer system isn't sophisticated enough to be able to stop some of the millions of payments they're programmed to make, but not all. They're not set up to allow some programmer to go down a list of bills and check off the ones to be paid and leave unchecked the ones to be ignored until a later date. It just doesn't work that way. In polite society, that is, in a society governed by the rule of law, which we as conservatives support, it is not considered fiscally responsible to not pay one's bills. The time to argue over the spending is before you buy the car you cannot afford, not when the first bill arrives in the mail. That said, it is customary in these situations, despite the Biden White House's insistence otherwise, to enter into negotiations. Let me repeat that. It is customary in such situations to enter into negotiations. The last time we had split control of government during the second two years of President Trump's term, the Democrats who controlled the House came to the table with spending demands, and they bargained for and won an increase in spending as the price for their votes to raise the debt ceiling. And as I mentioned, 12 years ago, we were in a similar situation with a Democrat in the White House and a Democrat majority in the Senate, 
facing off against a Republican majority in the House, and the result was the Budget Control Act of 2011, a deal to raise the debt limit in exchange for reductions in planned future spending increases and other means to control spending. The Biden White House and the Democrat majority in the Senate insist they will not negotiate. The Republican House of, of Representatives insists it will not pass an increase in the debt ceiling without also getting an agreement to reduce spending in the future. Neither side at this point is willing to blink. One of the key players in this drama will be Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. He said flatly last Thursday that the U.S. government will not default on its debt and that the Congress will raise the debt ceiling. Quote, Periodically, the debt ceiling has to be lifted, and it's always a rather contentious effort. In the end, I think the important thing to remember is America must never default on its debt. It never has and never will. We'll end up in some kind of negotiation with the administration over what are the circumstances or conditions under which the debt ceiling will be raised. Stay tuned. This drama is still in Act One and will be playing out for months to come. Now to the big story of the last two weeks, the Biden documents. Two weeks ago today, CBS News broadcast a story that rocked the nation's capital and which has been on the front pages ever since. It turns out that President Biden, after deriding former President Trump as being, quote, irresponsible for having in his possession classified documents he should not have had, has had in his possession similarly classified documents he should not have had. The White House has done its best to argue that there are major differences between the Biden documents and the Trump documents. Yes, there are differences. Trump has many more documents. Trump has not been cooperating with the National Archives and Records Administration or the Department of Justice to the extent the Biden team has. But there are other differences that make Biden look worse, not better. For one thing, all of Trump's documents were found in one place, his residence at Mar-a-Lago. To date, the Biden documents have been found in an office he used after he left the vice presidency, the garage of his home in Wilmington, Delaware, and somewhere else in the house he owns in Wilmington. For another thing, Trump claims to have declassified all those documents. While he was president, he had the authority to do just that, and there is no higher authority than the president on the classification or declassification of any document. The documents found in Biden's place of business and home and garage were documents that came into his possession before he was president, meaning he had no power to declassify them and never should have had those in, in those locations in the first place. Things are getting worse for Biden. On Friday, the FBI spent 13 hours searching his Wilmington home at the behest of the Department of Justice which apparently was concerned that despite all the Biden lawyers' fabled cooperation, there may still have been classified documents in Biden's possession that he should not have had. On Saturday night, they revealed the fruits of their labor, six new batches of documents, including some from his days as a U.S. senator. Just as a reminder, Biden left the Senate in January of 2009, 14 years ago. That means that document or documents somehow has or have been in his possession improperly for more than 14 years. Let's take a moment and go through the timeline because this is important. On November 2, 2022, Biden aides found the first documents with classified markings as they were cleaning out his office at the Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement. They didn't call the Department of Justice or the FBI. They called the National Archives and Records Administration. 
On November 4, the Inspector General of the National Archives called the Department of Justice. On November 9, the FBI began an assessment of whether classified material was handled improperly in violation of federal law. Note, that's November 9, which is one day after November 8, which you may recall was the date of last year's midterm elections. That's right, they waited until after the midterm elections for the FBI to begin an assessment. On November 14, Attorney General Merrick Garland directed the U.S. Attorney in Illinois, John Lausch, with investigating the situation to determine whether Garland should appoint a special counsel to investigate further. On November 18, Garland appointed Jack Smith as special counsel to take over the Department of Justice's investigations into former President Trump. On December 20, December 20, President Biden's lawyers told Lausch, the U.S. Attorney, that they had located more classified documents in the garage of Biden's home in Wilmington, Delaware. The FBI sent a team to retrieve the documents. On January 5, 2023, Lausch recommended to Garland that Garland appoint a special counsel. He said he cannot do the job himself because he is planning to leave the department. On January 9, CBS News reported that Biden's lawyers had found classified documents in the office of his think tank two months earlier. CBS News did not report on the documents found in Biden's garage a few days earlier because CBS News did not yet know about the documents found in Biden's garage. On January 11, various news media reported on the discovery of more documents with classified markings at Biden's garage. On January 12, a Biden lawyer told Lausch that an additional document had been found at Biden's home in Wilmington. On January 12, Garland appointed Robert Hur to serve as special counsel in the Biden documents investigation. On January 14, the White House revealed that additional pages marked as classified had been located in Biden's Wilmington home. On January 21, the White House revealed that even more documents marked as classified had been located in Biden's Wilmington home. These documents included at least one dating to his time in the Senate. Now, let's look at Garland's actions. The Biden White House is doing everything it can to convince the mainstream media and, through it, the public, that it is being open and transparent and above board in everything it does. It pointed to Garland's appointment of John Lausch and loudly exclaimed to everyone within earshot that Lausch was appointed to his position as U.S. attorney by former President Trump. That's true. But he was only appointed after having been approved for the job by Illinois Democrat Senators Dick Durbin and Tammy Duckworth, two of the most extreme partisans in the Senate. And the appointment of Robert Hur to serve as the special counsel fell along similar lines. Who is Robert Hur? He served as an aide to the DOJ's criminal division chief, Christopher Wray, who now serves as director of the FBI. After that, Hur went to work as the principal associate deputy attorney general to Rod Rosenstein when Rosenstein was working as the deputy attorney general under Jeff Sessions. Yes, that Rod Rosenstein, the one who appointed Robert Mueller as special counsel to investigate President Trump. After serving as Rosenstein's principal deputy, Hur was appointed U.S. Attorney for Maryland, a job previously held by Rosenstein. If you're thinking this all seems a bit incestuous, you are to be forgiven. And let's look at that timeline. Garland knew on November 4 that Biden was in possession of classified documents he should not have had. That was two weeks before Garland appointed a special counsel to take over the Trump investigations. 
Did he decide to appoint a special counsel for Trump because he knew he was going to have to appoint a special counsel to investigate Biden? Fair question. Who knows? Here are two final points on this developing story. First, where were the Penn-Biden Center documents from January 20, 2017, until the the Penn-Biden Center opened for business in February 2018? They were somewhere. No one has yet answered that question. Second, what accounts for the six-week delay between the discovery of the Penn-Biden Center documents in early November and the the discovery of the second batch of classified documents in the Wilmington garage on December 20th? Why, when the FBI began its investigation on November 9, did it not immediately search other places where Biden might have had classified documents? Senator Ted Cruz of Texas made news this very morning when he called for the Department of Justice to search another place that we might find classified materials that Biden shouldn't have had, to wit, the 1,850 boxes of material Biden sent to the University of Delaware after he left the Senate. Biden would have to give consent to the DOJ to conduct the search because under the terms of the grant of the archives, those materials cannot be accessed by anyone other than Biden until they are properly processed and archived without his consent. Stay tuned. Now to 2024. Jockeying for the 2024 elections has begun. Former South Carolina governor and U.S. ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley made some news last week when she sat with Fox News' Brett Baer for an interview on his show. She edged right up to the line of making a formal announcement but did not commit. Former Congressman, CIA Director, and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo made news, too, with selective leaks from his new book to be released tomorrow. In the excerpts, he tells a tale of Nikki Haley conspiring with Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump to dump Vice President Mike Pence from the ticket in 2020 and replace Pence with Haley. Haley denied the truth of the story and said she was great friends with Pence. Pence's spokesman asked for comment on on Pompeo's story, had a curt response, quote, LOL, end quote. On Friday, at its winter meeting in Dana Point, California, the 168 members of the Republican National Committee will choose their chairman for the next two years. The three-way race pits current chairwoman Ronna McDaniel against California National Committeewoman Harmeet Dillon and MyPillow CEO Mike Lindell. McDaniel had an early lead, but Dillon's been running a strong campaign. Jenny Beth endorsed Dillon last week. And that is our Washington Report for this week.